Well, hey, friends, faithful listeners, and newcomers to the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. My name is Jonathan, your creative producer and marketing director over at Stay Forth Designs, and I want you to know that I am thankful that you are here today. We love producing these episodes for you. We know that you guys love them. We see the likes, comments, shares, and ratings and reviews on social media and across the web, and we just want to say thank you, and that makes me incredibly, incredibly happy because by doing that, you help get this message into more eyes, ears, and hearts and make more people aware of our mission to help leaders get healthy so they can lead well for the long haul and experience impact as a result of their health. So I want to talk about something briefly that is important to me that I'm deeply passionate about and then offer an invitation of something I would like you to help me with. Um, I went through coaching a number of years ago. You can read about it on our website. And at the time, I didn't realize I needed coaching. I didn't know what coaching was, and I never planned to enter into a coaching season. But that's a story for another time. Anyway, I went through coaching, and it was like someone turned me upside down, shook out all the pieces, and allowed God to put back the right pieces in the right places back together. On the other side of it, the way I live, the way I lead, the way I view the world, the way I serve in ministry, how I, how I work through business relationships, personal relationships, it's all different. And I don't know where I would be had I not had the opportunity to experience coaching. And so that is my invitation and challenge for you. We want to help 1.1 million leaders at Stay Forth Designs get healthy so they can reach more impact. It's not just so they can do the next thing, but to truly experience health, to reduce overwhelm, to increase clarity so that they can live and lead well for the long haul, no matter where they lead, whether it's in their marriages, in their relationships, at home, at work, in ministry, whatever that might be. So we launched a campaign yesterday called the Upstream Campaign. And the Upstream Campaign will allow you to partner with us to make coaching, to make experiences, to make tools and resources more readily available to leaders who may not otherwise be able to access them. You can make gifts at various amounts. Um, This support will really help change the lives. We've already seen some God stories come in where people's gifts have been the exact dollar amount needed to overcome a gap. So we're not asking just to ask. This is an amazing opportunity for you to help change the life of someone who may not ever experience what coaching is. We have an amazing team of coaches and network coaches ready to help you or someone you know experience health so you can reach more impact. And one of the ways you can do that is partner with us through the Upstream campaign. The links to it and the details are in the show notes below. So if you ever read the show notes, today's the day to read them. Uh, We're thankful for you guys. Now, I want to get us into our conversation today. Back when we had the Healthy Leader Summit, we spoke to the amazing Ashley Island. She is an awesome, high-powered, high-geared female leader and her conversation with Alan and the talk that she shared was one of 50 amazing conversations. If you haven't experienced those, you can still get the all access pass to Healthy Leader Summit. The talks are timeless and they are a great resource for leadership and staff development. You can get the link in the show notes below. But you guys enjoy today's conversation and our talk from the Healthy Leader Summit with Alan and Ashley Island. Well, Ashley, thanks for stopping by the summit. It is great to have you on. Alan, thanks for having me. I love what you're doing with this gathering and who it's going to reach and how this might encourage leaders all around the world. Well, I love your message, uh, your book. We had you on Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. And I have to say that you're either crazy or prophetic <laughs> to write a book on kindness in what I think is the most unkind time that I have been alive. Yeah. Uh, and so why did you take on this huge topic of kindness? 
Well, I'll tell you what, I might be a little bit of both. Is it okay that I can claim a little bit of crazy and a little bit of of the prophetic? Mm -hmm. Um, Because when I was asked what I wanted to write about a couple of years ago, Alan, remember this was 2018 that I started writing. Mm -hmm. And so we were two years into this current presidential term. And I just remember being unsettled by how conversations were being had, not even necessarily the content, of the conversations, I was so unsettled. It was like we were tearing at the fabric of each other's worthiness and humanity, and it was all fair game. And that bothered me. And so um, when a friend and my now agent uh, reached out and said, what do you want to write about? Without thinking, I said, kindness. Because I was anticipating that 2020 would be a divisive election year. And that's, that's it. <laughs> that's an understatement, right? If divisive is what you were thinking. That's right. Wow. And that's, so the idea, the original intent was to introduce not even a third way. I think we throw that term around a lot, but to introduce a way of living and being with one another again, that helped repair what has been broken um, in the way that we interact with and relate to one another Um, And I wanted to do it specifically through storytelling because I believe there's a beauty and a power in telling the story that God's given each human here on earth to shine as a light to the world and to bear witness about who he is through that story. And so I think there's a, a beauty in storytelling that I wanted to reclaim to help us with our empathy and to really see how God was was moving in and through our lives. And so that's why I wrote it as a story, my own story. But um, I did not anticipate pandemic and um, more visible racial tensions, all of this colliding in this year. And so I had no idea the Mm. moment that this book was going to meet. Mm. So what are the challenges as a mom this Mm. year? Right, we can we can talk all we want about ministry or leadership, but yeah, what's going on in your living room right yeah. now in this year? That's such a good question. My babies are five, four, and almost two. And so when you think about the word formation, most of us when we think formation, I can imagine like middle school teenagers, my time spent in high school ministry and really wanting those teenagers to follow after Jesus with their entire lives. I am trying to get my kids at a very basic level to to love themselves, to love others, and and to understand how and where God shows up in their daily lives. And I'm trying to keep my stuff together in the process. Like I'm trying to work through my own baggage and my own emotional weight and my own uh, personal processing, trying not to bleed out onto my kids. Um, to let them see what's true about me and how I'm facing really tender, intense moments while also caring for them and caring for their souls and not having them carry more than they need to in this season. And so we are having conversations about, I mean, my son's really into animals, Alan. So I can spit out some pretty sick animal facts for <laughs> you if you wanna know about humpback whales or, or rhesus monkeys. You're learning but a lot. I'm year. learning a lot. Getting educated. I'm learning a lot. I'm trying to allow the passion that God's put in them to blossom unhindered. It's good. To not squelch or to to not um, limit who they are, who God's made them to be because of my pain or because of 
this really just insane moment that we're living in right now, I want them to flourish. And so part of that is paying attention and to follow the trail of their own joy and to allow my own faith to be awakened and my own joy to be awakened and being present with them. Um, so it's been a lot in, in the way of um, paying attention to my own presence in my home, how I'm showing up with my kids, while at the same time trying to give them positive deposits of hope and encouragement and teaching them how to love well, even when I'm witnessing the exact opposite outside our four walls. So it's it's a hard time being a parent and we don't even, we don't have time to talk about all the challenges with schooling right now. And um, what that introduces to the conversation, but me being a mom is probably the number one arena in which I'm seeing God shape and form me and encouraging me to rely on who God is as a source of my strength. Um, and what I'm able to give to my kids. Mm. It's incredible how my home has become um, a hotbed of formation. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. So I'm going to declare you a kindness expert since you wrote a book on it, <laughs> whether you receive that or not. Okay. So let's talk about unkindness. Like, yeah. what can we dissect that, that people believe that it is okay to be so unkind, whether in person or on social media right now, why do people believe it's okay to be unkind? Yeah, I don't have the social science on this, but I have observations and I'm observing two things. And the first is in the bucket of how we're viewing our own values. So say we've grown up with a commitment to the values of success or safety or even power, you know, based on our current Western context um, here in America. We have certain values that we are taught to chase after and to pursue over the course of our lives. And now in a very real way, some of those values seem to be threatened. And whether we like it or not, someone is on the other side of those values being threatened. So I think in the name of us protecting our own values and beliefs, and I really do think it's fear. I think it's fear that is the fuel for um, this scarcity of spirit, um, what what we're leaning into, what we're observing right now. That's giving unkindness free reign because it's in the name of protecting what we hold to be so very valuable for our own lives. And I've said this a couple of times, Alan, as we get older, my guess is that it's harder to let go of the things that have worked for us in the way of how we've structured and crafted our lives to work. Mm. And so if you're asking me to reconsider something or to consider something completely different that is attacking my belief system, then I'm either going to run or fight. Mm. And, and some of that, I, I think, um, willingness to lean in and, and that defense mechanism produces an unkindness that we're seeing right now. I think the second bucket outside of our own values is how this is really, this season is really calling into question what we believe about other people. Because if someone, given their belief system or their value system 
or just the fact that they're unrelatable mm. makes them a threat. Um, and for whatever reason, that translates to unworthiness. Then unkindness isn't just allowed, it's justified. Um, so this is really a battle of what I'm seeing in the way of what we believe to be true about ourselves, what's right, what's true. And then what we believe to be true about other people in relationship with them. Um, and to the extent that that is off kilter or being called into question, um, we're seeing that it's okay to be unkind for the sake of the cause that we're trying to uphold. Mm. Yeah, that's so well said. I almost feel like we need our theology to combine more with anthropology and sociology because some of the simple answers we were given and even yes. processes we were given um, are not thick enough for this moment. Yeah. And what I love about story, you talked about that earlier, it's disarming. And the more and more I hear hearts connect and share a true story and really want to hear, then walls or perceived walls come down yeah. uh, in that. And so I, I hear that connection in, in just how you live. I would guess that's also how you preach and how you lead and how you form um, in that. And I think we need to learn some things mm. that we don't know. We don't know how to, to do that, right? And like, like you said, some of the levers that have worked for us no longer work. What got That's us right. here will not get us there. And the, the primary word I hear is disoriented. And you yes. I'm disoriented. I don't know. It's a long, how are you? It's a long, long answer to that. <laughs> There's no more. I'm fine. Yeah. It used to be, you would pass someone in the hallway when you could be in a hallway with someone and it was, how, how you doing? I'm fine. Like, I'm good. No, no, I don't receive that. I haven't heard that in months. Yeah. Even that's even the way that we tell each other and let each other in to our inner worlds is changing. And so we are grasping for something. We're grasping for lifelines to try and keep us together. And when that doesn't work, I think that is the perfect storm for um, pain being processed in unhelpful ways mm. for um, us trying to justify the um, even the soothing mechanisms we use for comfort right now. It feels better if we can blame someone else for the pain that we're feeling. Mm. And so it's justified. And it's, it's um, I, I think it's a way in which we're flexing fear, but also transferring control from how we're seeing God work and move in this moment mm. to know that wasn't working. It's, it's now the wheels in my hands. Mm. You, before we hit record, you said something incredibly scandalous that I want to just drag back okay. out of the open. Okay. Scandalous woman here, a scandalous <laughs> leader that says, I have some hope yeah. right now. Like, okay, please let's talk about some hope here, Ashley. Yeah. Um, what are your hopes? Where's hope for the people mm -hmm. of Jesus in the midst of mm -hmm. this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think God's doing a new thing. I really do. I don't like how it's happening because it doesn't feel good for me. And so I can acknowledge that this moment is very uncomfortable for me, Alan, because I'm wrestling with my own reactions, my own insecurities. There's a lot about me that's falling away. And I can feel myself trying to fight some of that. 
And yet I can see the grace and what the spirit's doing in this moment to say, yeah, this might feel like a, an undoing, but what I'm going to give back to you is a building up of my doing. Mm. I am purifying. I am reconciling. I am allowing lies and darkness to hide no more. I am illuminating. Mm. I'm clarifying. I'm helping you step into a reliance completely on me and not on the systems and structures that you've given your life to before. And so it doesn't feel good, but I have hope that if we truly are looking to the Lord as our source in this moment, we will see really beautiful things being birthed out of some really messed up soil. Mm. So good. So well said. So how have you reacted, responded, and grieved to Mm -hmm. the obvious racism Mm -hmm. that is reared its ugly head again in 2020. How are you, how are you processing this? Yeah, that's a good question. I, the word that I'm using more than I want to, if I'm completely honest, is that it's traumatizing. Mm. As a woman of color, racism isn't new to me now in 2020. It's that for a period of a few weeks and months, we were seeing how public and um, how widespread the visuals of racism were. And going all the way back to Ahmaud Arbery, that seems like it was forever ago, really wasn't, um, to the more recent accounts in George Floyd. Um, we're still talking about Breonna Taylor. I know um, her city is bracing for outrage based on what, whatever decision is coming down the pipeline. I, it's not new to me and yet it's hard because I'm doing my own processing in my own home with my husband and our three black kids trying to figure out on a daily basis when we wake up, it no longer feels safe to just exist. I can't even say to leave my house because some of the recent counts we've heard happen in people's homes. Mm. It just doesn't feel safe to exist right now. Wow. That's, that is one level of which I'm processing this. It's not a headline. It, it, it's me. Mm. It's my, it's my husband's, my kids, it's my friends. Um, I've asked myself the question, if something were to happen to my family, how would our church respond? Would it just be about political opinions at that point? Or is there something in the way of the relationships we formed with folks where it would hit at a different level? So you take that personal pain and processing and the trauma of seeing these accounts and headlines being talked at as if they're not real human beings involved. And then you try and lead out of that place. And where I have to be careful is that I'm not leading um, folks into bitterness. Ephesians 4.32 is really important to me in this moment where Paul cautions and he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I have to watch the condition of my heart, Mm. that it is not becoming calloused by this this dust kicked up in the way of racial tension that 
my ancestors have been processing. We've been we've been working through this for generations now, right? So there's the personal space, but the leadership How, space too. Let me camp out on that. Yeah. As a person, leader, mom, human, all of those. How does your heart stay tender? Yeah. In the midst of injustice, painful mm-hmm. injustice. I have to remind myself daily that the injustice is not where this ends. And it makes me really emotional saying that. I have to believe, have to, there's something on the other side of all this pain. Mm, Come on. If I don't, I'm dead in the water. Mm. But if I can truly believe that my hope is in Christ alone, that there is resurrection on the other side of a dark and weary tomb, Mm. that is racial injustice in our country and in the world, then I can keep going. Mm. If I if I am preaching more than just a political um, leaning, if I am preaching more than just a well-formed opinion even, if I am preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope of glory, then I can keep going. But the calling has to be higher for all of us. We cannot be fooled or distracted by the smallness, not the unimportance, because our our leanings and opinions are important, but the smallness. That's a small calling to a good debate mm. around partisanship. The higher calling of proclaiming Christ, that's my hope. And so I know that everything that we're seeing in the world, all the hurt and pain and the injustice, these are the groanings. Mm. And I will be caught in the crossfire. I have been promised that I will have trouble. But to take heart, to stay tenderhearted, to take my heart and to place it at the foot of the cross in a way that is still open, that can still submit to my brother or sister, that can forgive, that does not get caught at the injustice and stay rooted in bitterness. Because if that happens, we don't have a hope. There is no light for the world. Wow. Preaching. You are preaching. I love it. I can tell it's so personal to you and so every day for you. So thank you for that. Um, What are some practical ways, small, big, or otherwise, Mm -hmm. that Christians right now, people of Jesus can stand for justice, can stand for truth, and I dare even say can stand for kindness yeah. We do that in our posture, how we do it in this moment, in this yeah. year, in the midst of this craziness. Yeah. So my first practical suggestion is going to sound, it's not a popular one, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that's regular practice of repentance. Here's what I find so striking about how Christians are engaging this moment. Some. It's like we've forgotten the injustice that put Christ on the cross. That while we were yet sinners, right? I have to be reminded of the fact that I, I, I needed a savior. I need a savior. And so it's been so helpful to me in this moment before I get all high and mighty on my social media platforms and that, that there's a humility in remembering the scandal of grace offered to me daily 
And so even though the, these past few months have been so hard for so many reasons, for so many of us, I one of the gifts have has been a call to face on the floor, crying out to the Lord, like, God, forgive me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. I think if we can be reawakened again to the scandal of grace because of what Christ did, I think we'll look at the world a different way because we will remember much of what we've been forgiven. It's falling in love with the story again, remembering the story of of the gospel, why the gospel isn't just a sermon series. It's not just a a three-point message. It's everything. So beginning from that place of like, you know, I think a long, long time ago, I wrote something that said something along the lines of the proponents of um, reconciliation, people who are trying to fight injustice must first remember what was unjust in them. Mm. That's the purest place from which we can move into the world, starting closer to home than we actually really want to. Mm. Um so yeah, what's that regular practice of repentance and engaging our own intimate spaces with the Lord of, of going like praying that prayer from Psalms, search me and know me. Do we really want, want to be searched and known right now? I don't know that I do, but to see if there's any offensive way in me, God, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Mm. Um, wow. Well, yeah. and even just to, to be, vulnerable and real, my wife and I were talking about how phrases we said and insults we gave in the 90s, not that long ago, that were a normal way to be mean, Yes, are like, I can't believe I ever said that. And that was normal. Yeah. And to think, oh my goodness, the the jokes that I said, the locker room talk I said that unfortunately was in the middle of like a hallway. It wasn't even like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you'd say that. And I look back and go, Oh, and you know what? It was like some of that was five, seven years ago where I go, that what? Why did I think that was okay? Yeah. Almost is like, that's good news. That's yes. like, I'm a new creation that says, that is not me. I'm not okay with that. Yeah, that's any right. Any longer. And that's, yeah. it's been so interesting to be convicted of the smallest of things that I say, that is dead wrong. Yeah, and that's right. Like, and, and isn't that good news that we're, yeah we're new and we go, Oh, like, here's this, maybe just, maybe I'm growing. That's right. And and that's the whole point, Alan, this is all for, for transformation. I think, um, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. The kindness piece comes in because God wants us to be transformed. Hmm. It's not this heavy handed, like, well, I just need to put you it's for a reason. It's so that we can join with him in the renewal of the earth Um, And that begins in us. And so I'd say, you know, moving out of this place um, of of repentance and conviction, I think there has to be a renewed understanding of transformation and asking the question, do we really want what Jesus wants for the world? I asked this in a sermon a few weeks ago. Do we really want what Jesus wants for the world? Because he said, I came to save. Mm. I came to save the world. Is that what we want? Because then we're going to pay attention to our inputs and our sources. Like I'm in a space right now where I cannot be glued to the news. Yes. 
I can't. And it's not because I value being uninformed. <laughs> it's because I'm the sources and the inputs by which I am receiving information and allowing my mind to soak and linger in what truth is. Um, it's just too important. Mm. Not just for my own mind, but how I view humanity is informed by the sources and inputs that I allow myself to be influenced by. So it's not just about me. I will turn my brother into an enemy really quickly if I'm soaking in a source that tells me I should hate them. Mm. Why would we think we're going to relate to each other any differently Mm. if we're being pitted against one another every single day? Why would we feel like we have the individual power to rise above that? Yeah, we're not above that. We're not above that. And then we will live out of that place. And so there is there is the individual, how are we allowing ourselves to be searched and known by the spirit of God? But then what are the, the sources and the inputs that we are allowing to influence our thinking and our love, quite frankly? Um, and, and then I'd say, you know, less is more in this season. I'd say the temptation is to scramble and respond to every single injustice, Mm -hmm. every single debate that gets kicked up in our congregations or in our constituencies. And it's just not true. I think the enemy would love nothing more than for me to be overwhelmed and to feel like it's on me. That everything's on my shoulders in this season. Because if if that can happen regularly enough, if that lie can be perpetuated regularly, then I don't have freedom. Mm-hmm. I am I am chained to um I'm 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 chained to this lie that that it's all in my power. And so perhaps less is more in that my silence is actually giving someone else an opportunity to speak. My voice and speaking up is giving someone else an opportunity to step into courage. Mm. But the point is to be led by the discernment of the spirit and not by the distractions and the flurries or the frenzies of what we're seeing on social media, on our phones, newspapers, if we still read those. Mm -hmm. Um, How I lead and how I live must be led by the spirit of God daily. And what could be more countercultural than that? To wait to right. discern. And we're you can't win anyway, no matter what. We, <laughs> right. I'm hearing that from leaders. I can't win. Let's shift from trying to win to trying to discern. Trying yes. to the Lord. And what could be more countercultural than that? Because the, the, rea- the cultural reality of in every moment, every situation, silence is violence. And the next thing that hits halfway across the world, I don't even know what happened. Right. Barely even just saw the video, and it, we. I feel in my spirit like I need to have a response. Yeah. Like I'm a like I'm my own PR outlet. Yeah, that's right. Tell you as if someone even cares fully what I what think. What you think? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And here's the crazy thing: in that moment, it might be for you to say something, but the point isn't do I say it or not. It's what's informing that impulse. Mm. Is it my own anxiety? Because our anxiety is a, is a really bad coach. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's> super bad. <laughs> um, but if it's usually my anxiety, it's not that, 
okay, now I either have to like say nothing or say everything. It's reevaluating the voice that leads. I do not want to be led by my own anxiety. If in, if in my quiet time in the morning, I feel like a conviction on, yep, I think I need to rewrite my sermon or that message. Then I want to be obedient and faithful in that. But if what's, what's propelling me forward is my fear that is not going to bear fruit anyway. So even if I say something and if it's out of a place of fear, the spirit of fear and anxiety, that is not going to bear fruit. Wow. So, you know, the, the call isn't just to like, how do we get the perfect recipe down for when to respond or not? My encouragement to, to leaders is to say, reevaluate the leading voice. Mm. Um, and, and lead and live out of that place. And we here, no one wants to hear this. We will lose people in this season. There will be consequences. There will be consequences. There will be more loss because not everyone wants formation in this time. People, people want answers. People want clarity. People want assurance. Not everyone wants formation. Not everyone is seeking to look like Jesus in this time. So we will lose people if we're doing this well. But to not let the loss be the leading um, data point. And for some of us, it's going to feel real strange and it's going to feel like it's our fault. It's not. Loss is an, actually a beautiful invitation to Christ-likeness and, and to be more dependent, increasingly dependent on him. Um, so, yeah, I get a little shaky every time I think about an e- I've gotten quite a handful of emails expressing um, extreme discontent or threat of like, we don't want to be a part of this anymore. Like, and you know what? I'm, I'm at a place where I've made peace with that because um, I understand everyone's going through a hard time. And for some folks, their outlet and their scapegoat is going to be their church. Mm. And I don't take that personally. Mm. Yeah. Um, also countercultural. Maybe this also is personal. Maybe yeah. this email isn't about me. Maybe this anger isn't about me. That's right. crazy thought. That crazy thought. It, it, it may not be about mm. you at all. But to say, Lord, what are you doing here? And what's the best way I can still care for the flock, even, even if that that number is dwindling and diminishing? It's been rich. Yeah. It's been good. You stand in this this in between space, a posture yeah. that we need. We need third wave people right now. That's what I hear um, in you. And what we know is that um, as we're in the first week of October, we know that in a month, that half of our country will be frustrated, angry, maybe even outraged. And yet, yes. these things you've talked about do not change for us. When all of those things change. So thanks for bringing us back to the gospel and scripture and repentance. And um, it's been so rich. Um, I want to end with, with a very personal question to think about 10 years from now, 20. Oh gosh. Okay. When you look back, what do you want people to say about how Ashley lived and led through this year? Mm. I was faithful. And that I loved well. Um, 
I don't care about, yeah. I really hope people can say that there was an introduction to um, who Jesus is, an invitation to walk and live in the way of Jesus because I was faithful. So long.